0: Ladies, again, those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we want to uh, welcome you. I hope that you can stay for the hour that follows our worship. Sunday school begins after worship has ended, and Sunday school ends at 1150. But the visitor's class that I have the uh, privilege of teaching is designed for you, our visitors. And if you'll go down this central hallway and turn left, you'll find that visitor's classroom on your right, I'd love the opportunity to meet with you there in that classroom and share with you some information about who we are and what it is that we believe and uh, what it is that you will find taught and hopefully, by God's grace, practiced here at uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church. Um, Invite you to return this evening at 6 o'clock. We begin this morning, continuing this evening, next Sunday morning and evening, and then uh, wrapping up on Sunday morning, the, uh, the 26th of February, a five-part series concerning the family, so I hope that you will try to uh, stay with us step by step as we work our way through Colossians chapter 3 uh, in verses 18 through 21. Um, we'll begin this morning with some introductory remarks. I also ask for your, um, uh, your prayers for me today at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I'll be in Dalton, Georgia uh, praying, uh, praying, well I will be praying, but also preaching, uh, preaching and praying and singing and shout well not shouting, but um, doing all the rest uh, at the uh, installation service of the, uh, the Reverend Scott Parsons uh, as he becomes the uh, new pastor of uh, Grace Presbyterian Church in uh, Dalton, Georgia. That's a very uh, a special time for me because uh, Scott... Uh, the new pastor there at Grace Church in Dalton. Uh, Scott was part of the uh, uh, my first youth group uh, when I began my ministry back in 1972. So one of those people that was a high school kid when I was ordained to be a minister of the gospel uh, never mind. Well, um, and actually the truth of the matter, of course, is that Scott has been an ordained minister of the gospel for some 12 or 13 years, but it's still a very uh, exciting occasion for me uh, to have a son in the faith uh, that close by. Uh, we're quite, uh, quite thrilled by all of that. Let me tell you, let me just share with you a couple of things, and then we'll look together at the Word of God. My, my life was... Um, profoundly impacted uh, by the writings and by the teachings of a strange little guy with a goatee who walked around in knickers um, and uh, talked with a high-pitched voice. And uh, you had to listen. You had to reread every sentence he wrote three times to be sure you fully understood it. And even when you heard him lecture, you you had to go back and review your notes to be be sure you followed all of the logic of what he was saying. Uh, But Dr. Francis Schaeffer uh, was profoundly used by the Lord uh, in my life through him. uh, The Lord opened my eyes to to see that Christianity uh, is not simply getting your ticket punched for heaven, uh, but that Christianity is a matter of embracing Jesus as Savior and Lord and, and of coming to understand, of coming to understand that if he is not Lord of all then he is not Lord at all. Dr. Schaeffer spoke often about the title of our sermon. He spoke often about true truth, the truth that Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32 will will set you free, the truth about who Jesus is and, and how that changes everything. You know, it's only after we've come face to face with that truth that everything changes. Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but Peter's eyes were not fully opened until after the resurrection. It was after seeing the risen Lord that Peter was changed, changed from a scared, timid man who denied three times even knowing Jesus into that bold preacher who stands in the temple in Jerusalem and proclaims for all to hear, for this entire audience of Jewish people to hear, that this Jesus whom you have crucified, he's Lord, he's God, he is Christ, he is the Messiah. Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, Saul knew the Old Testament inside out and backwards. Paul was well steeped in theology, but it was an encounter with the risen Lord followed by three days of blindness that finally opened his eyes to the true truth that Jesus is the God-man who, having no sin of his own, took upon himself the sins of his people, paid the penalty for their transgressions, freeing them from sins, curse, and power. Now, what was true for Peter? What was true for Paul, what was true for me is true for all. It is true for everyone. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and you claim to be a believer, please hear me. What was true for Peter, what was true for Paul, what was true for me and is true for me, it is true for all who name the name of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel becomes true truth. Because the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and He he renews our minds and, and He opens our eyes so that we can see that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer by whom and for whom all things were made, that He is the righteous judge and the merciful Savior of all He has created, that He is the sovereign Lord and the mighty King who rules over all by God's grace. We become people who hear and who understand and who believe. Now follow me. And we become a people who find ourselves burning with a holy zeal to glorify him in all that we do and say and think and feel. True truth. (laughs) Many today claim there is no such thing as true truth. Much less, uh, there's no such thing as truth, much less true truth, much less absolute truth. Truths that are true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. That is, now follow this, that is, of course, except for the one true truth, the one absolute truth, that there is no absolute truth, that there is no true truth. I mean, the only absolute truth and the only true truth is that there is no absolute truth or true truth. You follow that? Me neither. Me neither. Many think this idea that there is no true truth its good news. If there's no true truth, no absolute truth, then we're free to do whatever seems right in our own eyes. So let's party. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. This attitude, this, this idea, that this lifestyle, it's nothing new. The writer of Judges tells us that because there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Of course, it didn't work. Doesn't work, didn't work then, doesn't work now. Check out the book of Judges, look around you. It doesn't work. And then, and then fall on your knees and thank God for the light that shines upon you and illuminates your path. And while you're thanking God for his goodness to you, Ask him to blaze in and through your life so that others might be drawn out of darkness. This morning, this evening, next Lord's Day morning and evening, and then finally in the morning of February 26, I want to preach from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. This is God's truth. This is God's true truth. This is absolute truth. It is a truth given to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let us read together the Word of God and then pray and ask God to illuminate our minds, to change our hearts. As Bill prayed this morning, to soften our hearts, to make our minds receptive, to the truth of God's inspired and holy word as we examine together His word about family. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. The only thing that really interests us this morning is an introduction to verses 18 through 21. But if you're new to Covenant Presbyterian Church, let me tell you this. When it comes to the study and examination of God's word, I hope for us there will always be one thing that is overwhelmingly significant after we have called upon the Lord to illuminate for us his inspired word. And that will be context, 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 context. You have to read scripture in its context. You have to look at the surrounding verses. If you start pulling out passages of Scripture and you don't have any idea what the verses around that passage of Scripture say, then you can use and abuse those two or three verses that you choose to make use of. Context, 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 context. Now, if we were going to properly set the context here, we would begin with Genesis 1 (laughs) and we would finish, and I say that with all seriousness. And if I were going to try, okay, let's narrow the context here. We'd at least read the New Testament. Well, let's narrow it. We'd at least read all of Pauline's epistles, all of Paul's epistles. Let's narrow it. We'd at least read all of Colossians. Well, we're not going to do that. But that is important. But at least let me begin with verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian slave or free but Christ is all and is in all therefore our second therefore therefore Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Instruct our minds, change our hearts, break our wills, remake us in your image. Oh, God, we pray that for ourselves as individuals, but this morning particularly, we pray that also for whatever our position or place might be within a family structure. Father, may we as individuals and as individual members of various family structures, may we be the people you would have us to be to your glory, to your honor, to your praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we read these words, especially verses 18 through 21, obviously, and I hope I reflected it at least somewhat in what I just prayed, obviously, some of you are not married. And obviously, unless you have something to tell us you you haven't been sharing, but some of you are not married. And others, others of you are, are members of, of families in which one or more parts are missing. So some of you are going to be real tempted at this point to click off here and do something else. But it's important for all of us. I hope we understand it is important for all of us that God bless us with strong, godly homes in which husbands and wives, children and parents love and serve each other according to the pattern of Colossians 3. Colossians 3. That's because our world is in terrible trouble, and what this world needs, at least in part, is a God-honoring, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered church. But the church is only as strong as its families. And our families are only as strong as their individual members, be they fathers, mothers, single parents, children, single adults. Our various family units are strong only when each of us is striving in the strength that God provides to lovingly serve Him as we lovingly serve one another in His name. And it is only as we do that individually that our families become what God intends for them to become, and it is only as our families become what God intends for them to become that the church can be what God intends for the church to be. During Paul's second missionary journey, he had uh, an extended time in the the city of Ephesus, which lays on the, the west coast of the modern land of Turkey. And while there, he sent missionaries into the interior of Asia Minor. One of those missionaries was named Epaphras. Look forward to meeting Epaphras. And he traveled 100 miles inland to the Lycus Valley, and there we believe that God used him to plant three churches, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. Five years later, Paul found himself a prisoner in Rome, and he writes to the churches, to the church in Ephesus and to the church in Colossae, as well as a a personal letter to a good friend named Philemon. His letter to the Colossians was meant to encourage them. It was meant to further instruct them about the person and work of our Lord, and it was meant to challenge them to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to profit from a study of Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21, we need to do what I'm trying to do this morning, and that is pause and first appreciate what Paul has said previously in this epistle. What Paul has done, let me tell you what Paul has done in this epistle. What Paul has done in this epistle is he has been enthusiastically teaching true truth. What's the truth about Jesus? Just look real quick. Look at Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16. Look at what Paul writes. What's the truth about Jesus? Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. So why did Jesus become a man? Look at verses 19 and 20. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And what has Christ accomplished on our behalf? Look back at verses 13 and 14. He has rescued us, you know this passage, because I quote it continuously. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is what it means to you. These are great theological truths that must be understood, believed and embraced if we're going to respond with eager obedience to the instruction that Paul is about to give us in Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 through 21. Now please hear me. This is terribly important. Please hear this. Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21 is not a list of suggestions. Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21 is a brief brief observation concerning how those who believe the doctrinal truths that Paul has set before them in the first two and a half chapters of this epistle, how those who are in love with Jesus and burn with a holy passion to serve Him by serving others, how they should live and serve Him by serving one another as members of a family. So stay with me. This is, this is important. What we find in Colossians, we find in many of Paul's other epistles. Never miss this. First doctrine and then the application. You've got to have the doctrine straight or the application will be silly at best. Because these things are true, Paul says, this is how you should live. It's a common pattern. Paul does it all the time. Good theology produces good thinking, which leads by God's grace to good living. For example, just think, just listen with me. Just listen. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's only after you've read chapters 1 through 11, which contain all the doctrine, that Paul then writes in Romans 12, verse 1, therefore, 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 I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, which is what He's been teaching us about for 11 chapters God's mercy, God's mercy. God's mercy. Therefore in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Again in Ephesians, first the doctrine, chapters 1 through 3. Only then will Paul write in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling you have received. This calling I've just spent three chapters describing for you. Doctrine and life. Life and doctrine if your doctrine doesn't impact your life then your beliefs are nothing but dead orthodoxy they're worthless they're meaningless if your doctrine doesn't impact your life then your beliefs are nothing but dead orthodoxy if your lives don't reflect true doctrine, the absolute truths of Scripture, the pure and undefiled doctrine taught in God's holy word, then your religion is nothing more than another set of ethical instructions. It's nothing more than another man-made fantasy. You may think you have sound, wise advice to offer, But it's no wiser and it's no sounder than anybody else's advice that is not built upon the doctrinal revelation of Holy Scripture. You knew the covenant Presbyterian church? You need to understand something. Doctrine and theology for us is important. Why? I hope and pray to God, not so we can walk around going, I know my doctrine. I got my theology straight. I hope you do know your doctrine. I hope you do know your doctrine. I hope you do have your theology straight. But if it doesn't impact your life, it's worthless, it's meaningless, it's dead orthodoxy. But I hope you never find here at Covenant Presbyterian Church where we just stand around and give you some good advice. Unless that good advice we give you is clearly a reflection of the principles taught in God's Holy Word, because you can go to a thousand places to get good advice. All right? Doctrine and life, life and doctrine. Is it any wonder that Paul, when he writes to the young man Timothy, as Timothy is assuming responsibility to become the pastor of the church in Ephesus, what's Paul say to Timothy? He says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Doctrine and life, life and doctrine, they must go together. Our homes will never be what God intends for them to be until we we know, believe, and, and are radically impacted by the true truth concerning who He is, what He has done, and how He would have us to live. Now, look at Colossians 3. Look at Colossians 3, verse 15. Look at Colossians 3, verse 15. "...Let the peace of Christ rule in you, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful." Just dwell on that verse for a while. "...Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful." People whose lives have been impacted by the grace and mercy of God are to live lives characterized by peace, by thankfulness, by gratitude. Peace, thankfulness, and gratitude. We won't discuss at this moment how well that's been reflected in my life for the past week. I will ask you to pause and reflect on how well that's been reflected in your life for the past week. Because probably your life's a lot like my life. Isn't that amazing? These are the people, you see, people whose lives are characterized by peace and thankfulness and gratitude. These are the people to whom Paul could write in Colossians 3.17, so whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father before through Him. Listen to me. Because of grace, listen, because of grace, you were drawn to the cross. And there you laid your burden down. Because of grace, you were drawn to the cross, and there you laid your burden down. Because of grace, you walk on with gratitude governing your heart, at peace. Thankful, eager to show and share with others the good news that the King has come and his name is Jesus. How is that possible? Because the focus is no longer on you. The focus is now on serving him by serving others, by glorifying him, by sharing with others the good news. It is by grace that you were drawn to the cross. It is by grace. It is because of the cross that you now walk on in gratitude. Peace and thanksgiving, ruling in your heart. So that whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, you do it all what? For the glory of God. And that includes, listen to me, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, parents, Children, single parents, singles, listen to me. And that includes how you treat, speak to, and serve one another as members of a family. You can't get it right within your own family structure. And I don't know where you think you're going to get it right. It begins in the home. Now, please note carefully. Listen to me. Okay. Let me say this gently. Our goal isn't to have great families. Do you hear me? Our goal is not to have great families. Our goal is to have families that glorify the Lord. Our goal isn't to have great families. Our goal is to have families that glorify the Lord. Paul isn't providing. Listen to me. Paul is not providing us here with a formula for success. That is how we approach Scripture all the time. Just give me the formula. Paul is not sharing with us here a formula for success. Paul is not saying, do this and your family will be wonderful. Paul is teaching us that this is how families are to serve one another to the glory of God. And that's our goal that's our objective and what the Lord and his sovereign purposes does in and through all of that only time will tell and probably only in eternity will we begin to even partially understand all that the Lord has been about and all that the Lord is doing this is not a formula for success this is the pattern by which you glorify the Lord in the structure of your family I'll make you this promise If our families are indeed focused upon glorifying the Lord in most cases, but not in all, but in most cases, those families do become just a wee bit, just a foretaste of heaven. But again, these verses are not a formula for success. They are God's word to us as members of various family units concerning how we can glorify him in all that we say and do. Now, with that in mind, look at Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Now, put your finger there and turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Hold, Keep a finger at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, and then turn back for a moment to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 6, chapter 6 and verse 4. Now, I ask you to do that just to see visually what, all, what some of you, most of you probably already know. Obviously, what Paul writes in Ephesians is far more detailed than what he writes in Colossians. I mean, these letters were probably written at the same time, delivered by the same messenger, and read together. So when Paul ri- So what Paul writes in Ephesians informs what he writes in Colossians. But I want you to understand one of the reasons Ephesians is longer is because in Ephesians, Paul uses the relationship of husband and wife to illustrate the relationship of Christ and his church. He doesn't do that in Colossians, and thus what he writes in Colossians is shorter than his instructions to the Ephesians. Of course, the truth is (laughs) both of these passages are rather short, don't you think? I mean, they're rather short. When you think about the subject matter, I mean, obviously, somebody's going to ask Paul, uh, Paul, p- Paul, p- Paul, do you really think that what you've written is sufficient? I mean, do you really believe that you've offered us sufficient information about how to structure our homes? I mean, four verses. Come on. I could write pages, and of course, people have. Four verses. I mean, even in Ephesians, you only have 16 verses. And many of those verses are concerned with ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. You know, I, I need more than four verses. Oh, I need some nuts and bolts if I'm going to hold my family together. Come on! This is the nuts and bolts. This is the nuts and bolts. You understand my point? Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21 has to be read in what? In context, in context. Bill's got it. In context, in context, in context. It has to be. You want the nuts and bolts? Then start digging. Digging. I'm trying to get my new VCR, DVD, whatever that thing is, playing last night. The instruction manual looked like this. You know what? I wanted it to work. So, what were we, so you know what I did? I told Jason to make it work. (laughs) So, what did he do? He took the instruction manual. And he always gives me that look that goes, did you ever think about reading this? (laughs) Understand? Understand? You may need some wise counsel on how to do a few things, on how to improve in a few specific areas. You may need some sanctified common sense from people who've been there and have done that. But I'm telling you, if you are passionately in love with Christ and want what he wants, the instruction he gives in his word is sufficient. You have to understand that. What does he say? This is what he tells us. Listen to this. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 3.16. Take this seriously. 1 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Why? So that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped. What an amazing phrase. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. And when our children were small, it seemed that every Christmas I was trapped. There were toys that needed assembling. And of course, as the man in the house... It's my job to assemble them. Jason wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet, no. <laughs> I have very little mechanical ability and even less patience. <laughs> wasn't funny. And it seemed to me that the instructions that were supposedly going to guide me step by step were never sufficient. They were difficult to read They never contained enough information. But you know what? Those toys got assembled. I always finished the job. It might have been two in the morning before I got to bed, but I kept at it. Why? Because I wanted my children to be delighted when Christmas morning came. So how badly do you want your Father in heaven to be delighted? Is it easy? Of course it's not easy. Is it a little difficult to read? Amen. Again, I was just reading this verse again where Peter says in 2 Peter, you know that Apostle Paul, he wrote some things that are hard to understand. And that's Peter commenting on Paul. And all we can do is go, amen to that. So is it difficult to read? Is it hard to read? Yes, it's hard to read. If you're new in the faith, you need to find those passages of Scripture that are devotional in nature. Read the Psalms. Read Proverbs. Read the Gospels. Read some of Paul's epistles. Don't read Leviticus. You know, don't jump right into the minor prophets. Why? Because some things are hard to read. Some things are hard to understand, but you know what? Those toys always got assembled. Why? Because I wanted to see the delight on my children's face when the sun came up on Christmas morning. I've done some counseling in my years in the pastorate. I am not a great counselor. You need counseling, you go to my other son-in-law, John, he'll take care of you. Go to Jay. Sorry, Jay, I had to put him in front of you. He's blood now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Steve McIlvain, others here that, that do that sort of thing on a much higher level than I ever thought about doing. Not a great counselor. That obviously contributed to some of the failures I have known. Husbands and wives who ended up going their own ways, leaving their families in ruin. But I I stand before you convinced that it wasn't simply a need for more information. And it wasn't simply the need for the investment of more time. In almost every case I can think of, Failure resulted because there was an unwillingness on the part of one or both to submit their wills to God's. It wasn't that they didn't understand what God wanted, and it wasn't that they weren't able, in God's strength, to do what He asked. It was something much more fundamental. In truth, they did not want what God wanted, they wanted what they wanted. And if what they wanted didn't correspond to what God wanted, they weren't about to repent of their ways and embrace the way of truth. They simply weren't going to do what they clearly understood the Scripture required them to do. On the other hand, I've been blessed to see families greatly helped. To see relationships restored. Why? Well, because in that situation, I was just a whole lot smarter. Because in those particular situations, I was just a whole lot more attentive. Because in those situations, I was just a whole lot more patient and just took a whole lot more time. No. No. It was because I was dealing with folk who were eager to submit to the Lord's truth. Nuts and bolts differ from situation to situation. The foundational truths of God's word are the same for everyone, everywhere, at all time. What is needed? is the burning desire to do whatever we do in word or deed, to do it unto the Lord, eager to demonstrate to Him, to demonstrate to others our thanksgiving and our gratitude for the the forgiveness and and, and the love and, and the mercy and the peace that is ours because of who Jesus is and what He has done to rescue us from sin's curse and power. Why should you burn with such a deep-seated desire to serve him by serving others in his name? Because you were made by him and for him. Because despite the fact that you have spit in his face and walked away from him, he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and has brought you to live within the walls of his kingdom because he has never treated you as you deserve. He has always extended to you patience and he's forgiven your sins and he's died to pay the penalty for your transgressions and he's reconciled to yourself, reconciled you to himself and thus reconciled you to one another. And because there burns within you a holy desire to look into his face and see delight. because there is nothing more important to you in this world or in that to come than to hear from your savior's lips these words well done good faithful servant why does toys get assembled on by christmas morning never could figure out what to do with all the screws and the nuts and the bolts that were left over why do they always give you so many extra of those things (laughs) why were those toys assembled by Christmas morning because we burned with a holy desire a holy desire to see delight on the faces of our children by God's grace, may that holy desire be multiplied a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand times. That desire to see delight on the face of my Savior. Not because Not because it was simple. Not because it was easy. Not because there were simply 12 steps to be followed and everything would be hunky-dory. But because we burned with the desire to do what would glorify him, to do What was glorifying to His holy name. Because that's our goal. That's our objective. Doctrine, then life. So what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to what? Is to glorify God. And then, enjoy Him forever let's pray